Hey, welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and uh, glad you're listening, glad you're here, glad you're okay, and excited. This is the first episode of Season 3, and uh, looking forward to sharing a conversation with my friend and playwright Elizabeth Wilder. Uh, It was a lovely conversation, talking about, obviously, the world and how it's changed and where we're at and how we keep creating, and... Excited to share that. It was good to talk with her. I saw Elizabeth last year when we were at the Southeast Theater Conference, and she's also a former student at NYU when I taught there, and she's gone on to uh, write a lot of great plays and and have success with that and write on TV, and she's currently the writer-in-residence at the University of the South, and it's lovely to catch up with her, but uh, you know, mostly I'm just, uh, I wanted also, before sharing that conversation, I want to just talk about you know, how it is, it's great to be in season three and to be back. And I know that the freaking pandemic is the craziest seven months ever. And it's constantly been emotional up and down, up and down. You know, is there theater? Is there not theater? I know at the end of season two, the last guest was Jessica Ash, because I needed to talk to a drama therapist, you know, about like what's happening and we have to redefine who we are and how this world works. And And I think it was a great conversation. I hope you listened to that episode. But as going into season three, I feel like, well, we now know what this is. You know, Broadway says they're coming back in June. And if that happens, that would be great. That'll probably be the end of season three. So what are we going to do between now and then? And we've all found things to do. You know, we know how to do a Zoom play. We know there's other systems. There's OBS. There's... uh, Streamway. There's different ways of presenting work online. There's audio plays. And I've been impressed just watching what people are doing. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm i going to keep going. You know, well, we're, what's the bullpen session going to be in this pandemic? It's like, oh, we still need to build a career. We still need to talk about how people are coping in this time. But how are they moving forward artistically? How are they moving forward professionally? How did they get to where they are? What are they noticing? And I thought the conversations are still important. And and it was important for me. I've, I Just talking to Elizabeth made me feel like, right, we're not alone. And I think that is also the most useful uh, thing. That is what theater does for us, isn't it? It's make us realize we're not alone. And um, on that, I'd love to hear what you're creating. So make sure you reach out to us. And I hope you're still creating and feeling... Um, getting a sense of normalcy in this unnormal time. Uh, also, letting you know that I'm dropping, recording this intro before election day. I'm not sure we'll know on when this drops uh, who the new president is or that we have a new president. I hope so. But uh, I didn't want the whole thing to be about that because uh, that is part of the irregular, unnormal times as well. But in this times getting normalized, um, you know, I hope you're finding a way to get centered and, and share your work and building community. And I'm glad you're part of our community and listening. And it means a lot. One of the things that I'm very proud the farm was able to do is with our partner, Hillsborough Community College down in Tampa, uh, we commissioned uh, Amy Gisbert Van Wick to write uh, uh, play that could be rehearsed fully, following the social distance guidelines, be performed, and it is performing at uh, HCC November 5th through 8th. You can go on the farm's Facebook page or uh, Hillsborough Community College's website to find out how to watch it. But they're gonna, they've been able to rehearse live and they're gonna perform for a small audience like 10 to 20 people and live stream it. You need a ticket though to watch it. And I'm really proud because not only did uh, Susie DeVore at HCC reach out to find a, a way to keep theater engaged, she, uh, Amy has written a great play. It is called Skin, Hunger, Touch, Starved. And, you know, it's not about the pandemic, but it's certainly informed by the pandemic. And it's about our need for intimacy and and uh, spoke to me again about why we do theater. And, and I just, I love that they're finding, you know, that, that she wrote a great play. The play is something that should be done a lot 
in and outside of a pandemic. The fact that you can fully experience it and, and rehearse it and perform it without limitations that aren't put on the world of the play and do it safely is great. But I think it is a play that is going to have a long life. And so I hope you'll check that out. But I'm glad we're creating things. And I'm glad to hear everybody when I see everybody doing stuff. It just gives me hope, it keeps me motivated, it keeps me going. And um, yeah, so I hope I hope everybody's finding a way to stay focused and motivated and creating and yet you're taking care of yourself and doing whatever you need for your own physical and mental emotional well-being um, but mostly i'm excited to be back and launching season three and sharing it with you and uh, here's our conversation between uh, elizabeth and myself and with that play ball Yeah. So, you know, I kept my kid home from school. Um, our school is the only school in the district requiring masks. None of the other schools are requiring masks. It's just business as usual. So, um, so I probably could have sent her to our school and she probably would have been fine. Um, but I had the ability to keep her home because I had enough flexibility and, you know, we're potting with two other families. And so we're sort of swapping kids out and, you know, we all created, we are calling them Corona pods. Um, so little outdoor spaces. So I have this like really ugly uh, metal carport in my backyard that I keep saying I'm going to have hauled off that came with the house. Um, but, you know, we put up a picnic table and chairs and outdoor rugs and it's actually, um, that's where my kiddo is doing her schoolwork right now so yeah you have an outdoor classroom we have an outdoor classroom so you know we're all making it work and um uh my kid has no interest in going back to school because she's figured out that like most days she can be done by lunchtime and she's got the day free and she's like i'm good so um meanwhile i'm worried i'm never gonna write again <laughs> are you not able to write again because she's done at noon or because of just pandemic in general? You know, I think it's been a really interesting mix of issues. Like, um, on one hand, um, I feel like I haven't had a lot of brain space for writing. Um, but then I'm also, so I'm like managing the pandemic um, and the uncertainties that come with the pandemic. I'm also teaching a full course load. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, homeschool my kids. So it's, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things to do at once. And I've always felt like out of, out of my roles as a teacher, a parent and a writer, generally I can do two of those three things well at any given time. And one of those things ends up suffering. And right now it's just, you know, it's my writing that's suffering. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, on a small project right now. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if it's any good. I don't know what it's going to become, but do you ever know if it's good? You never know if it's good. And that's the thing. And, um, you know, I've, I've been really working hard to kind of, uh, remind myself of all the things that I am constantly reminding my students of, um, which is first of all, the first draft doesn't have to be good. Um, you just got to get it on the page. Um, and you can clean it up later. And, and, and this is also, it's a project that's kind of been in my head for a while that, um, I haven't known how to tell this particular story, and I'm still not entirely sure that I'm telling it the way I need to tell it, but I also feel like, um, I also feel like if I can get some version of it on the page, I can then figure out what it's going to be. Um, and that's a little scary for me because I tend to, I tend to plan out my work a little bit more um, than, than than this but uh, you know i feel like sort of the chaos of writing this play is sort of um appropriate considering the chaos of our time um so and and if nothing else it's just um it's just reminding myself that i'm a writer at this time um i've been really lucky through the pandemic because i've actually had a couple of smaller projects here and there you know theaters reaching out asking for monologues um which was really great especially at the beginning when um i was really sort of grieving and um 
Interesting, that right? show that got shut down. And so that was a huge loss um, on many levels. And so having these small assignments was a great way to kind of pull me out of that rut, remind myself that I'm a writer, also feel like I was contributing something to these theaters that needed me at this time. Because I think for, for myself, and I think I've heard this from a lot of other theater people, is like this sense of powerlessness, of not knowing, like the problem is so big that how, do, how can I do something to help this situation? So doing that um, was really great. And then, um, I got hired on to write this web series, and uh, not web series, um, podcast series by the New Conservatory Theater. And so that was also a really great experience because um, we were running it like an actual writer's room. And I haven't been in a writer's room in a really long time. So it like helped me kind of work that muscle that I haven't worked in a long time. It was nice to work collaboratively. You know, we met for two and a half hours a day for like five weeks while we wrote this series. Um, Eric Liu was working on the project. So I got to see, I got to see Liu um, every day for five weeks, which, you know, is also a great thing. Um, so again, it was sort of, it was nice to to be in a community of artists that we were all working toward this same common goal. Um, and then and did the theater produce it or are they producing it? They produced it. So it's, it's available um, wherever you get your podcasts um, called uh, In Good Company. Um, and, and we were writing it. It was very much rapid response theater because we were writing it completely in response to the pandemic. So, you know, it was about a small, um, professional theater trying to figure out how they were going to stay open during the pandemic. And um, so it was interesting because like when we, when we first pitched the idea, um, sort of the, the George Floyd incident had happened, but as we were sort of planning the story, we saw you know, sort of the, the fallout from that. And so then we were like, okay, we can't write this story in this moment without also acknowledging this other moment. So then trying to figure out how to incorporate that into the story and, and make sure that, you know, it, it really represented a, a wide variety of voices. Um, so we worked really hard um, to make sure that, that all the different things that were going on in our world at this, this time um, we're, we're being represented as accurately um, and um, honestly as possible within the story. Uh, but it really, I think that moment in time also made me think back to like the 60s and like what it must have been like to live in the year of 1963 or in 1965, you know, when you had these years where you know, all of these major moments in our history were all happening in this really sort of condensed time. And I think for us, the pandemic and seeing um, the pandemic response and um, the George Floyd murder and the response to that and um, the election and all of the crisis that has um, arisen from that and then now like the Supreme Court, like, to imagine all of that happening in this really short amount of time, you know, if we had, a year ago would have seemed completely mind boggling. I mean, it feels mind boggling now, but, um, but we're in it, you know? That's so, what I was going to say. We don't have to imagine it. It's actually happening. It's actually happening. And I keep thinking like, um, you know, when I think about uh, the election and the Supreme Court situation, like I'm like, John Grisham is sitting at his computer somewhere, like just writing this story, like the stolen election and the stolen court seat. And, um, you know, because as a writer, you're sort of think, I, I think I'm always looking at the world around me and thinking like, how would I put that story on stage or how would I tell that story? And so much of what's happened in the past seven months you think you couldn't write this, you know? You just couldn't write it. You know, I write like one play every two years when I really have something to say. But, because mm -hmm. I always want to respond immediately to what's happening. I always want to be political and social and be as impactful in, as Brecht or something like that, you know? And, and that's not truly how it comes out of me. 
So when you're thinking, how do I tell this story of what's happening? Is the world, I know that world events always affect us, but does that affect the story that you need to tell? Or is there something, how does that come about for you? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I, I'm always, I think one of the big reasons why I'm a writer is to make sense of the world around me. And um, for me, a lot of times that means stepping outside of my experience, my own personal experience. Um, and, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about theater is that it, it challenges us to, to do that. Um, you know, then there's sort of the question of who gets to tell whose story. Um, and and, and I, I run into that a lot because sometimes the stories that I find most compelling are not necessarily the stories that are part of my own experience. Um, and so like the story that the piece I'm working on now is probably in some ways the most personal and autobiographical of all of the pieces that I've written. Um, and I think there was something about this experience and this moment in time that made me feel like I need to tell, I need to tell my specific story. Um, but other stories, you know, I, I too like to sort of respond to the things that are happening around me. So I have another project that I'm just itching to work on. Um, and it's huge. It's probably, um, whereas this other project is sort of small and very intimate and very personal, this other story is probably the biggest play I've ever tried to write. And, um, has nothing to do with me personally. Um, and that's exciting and daunting also. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, I think, you know, I think these, these ideas sort of percolate until they get to that moment where I just have to put them on the page. So. Actually, it's interesting. I love listening to you talk because you're also not saying what the plays are about. And I want to ask, like, is that because Sometimes if you talk about something before you've written it, it doesn't come. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm still, um, I'm still very cautious about talking about, about work until I really know what it's going to be. Um, so. And how do we get to know what it's going to be? It's going to by writing it or by outlining it or by it coming to your I consciousness? I think it's, um, I don't necessarily know what a play is going to be until, until I start putting it on the page. You know, I, I have a tendency, I, I feel like my writing process is very fragmented. Um, and it's a process that I would not necessarily encourage my students to use. Um, uh, and, and you think at this point in my career, I, I would be a much more efficient writer, but, uh, but alas, I'm not, but I tend to, um, I tend to just make notes about things um, and sometimes for really long periods of time until I get to the point where suddenly the scenes start coming to me and the, the, the characters start coming to me, you know, and, and, and in taking those notes, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a line or it's an interaction between characters or it's an event in, a, in the play. Um, and then when I feel like I've got enough of that together, then I can sit down and start, you know, putting, putting it together on the page. Um, the piece, I will give you a little teaser. Um, so the piece that I'm working on right now, um, I think is going to be a one woman show, not necessarily one that I'm going to perform, um, but it's gonna be a, a story very much about my my dad and um, these cars, this, uh, this 1961 Rolls Royce that I inherited when he died um, and how, um, you know, and he's just this very sort of interesting, complicated character. And for years, I've been telling people stories and they keep saying, you've got to turn this into a play. And I, I just never had a desire to do that. Um, I'm still not sure if it's a play. It might actually need to be a, a book, but that feels even more daunting to me. Um, so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to sit down and start start piecing this together and um and and maybe maybe it is a book and and the worst case scenario like at the end of the day i've got sort of the outline for a book um but best case scenario it turns into a really sort of interesting um a really interesting piece you know um i i grew up with gay parents in alabama in the 80s which is um a really sort of 
I think, unique story. And my dad um, was not your typical, like, Southern man, certainly, and not, well, actually, in some ways he was, which I think makes the fact that he was a gay man very, um, uh, there's a lot of conflict there, I guess, is, is a great way to put it. Um, but he was also a staunch conservative um, and really voted against everything that could possibly be in his own self-interest. Um, so, you know, so he's just a really complicated character, but because he died when I was very young, um, I have this sort of, I have an 11 year old version of who he was. And so, um, I feel like I can't put him on the stage as a character because I, I feel like I, I, I don't know enough to put him on stage. But I do feel like I can put someone telling that story on the stage. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it, it's a it's a play about Zelda, the 1961 Rolls Royce, um, and um, sort of the journey to have her restored. Um, which I think, you know, sort of follows the journey of trying to figure out who, who my dad was. So. I, I love that that started out as being described as a small project. <laughs> I guess it feels like a small project because I don't have to go do a ton of research, you know, um, whereas this other project that I'm working on, which um, is uh, sort of a uh, I don't even know how to describe it at this point, but it has required an enormous amount of research. And um, I'm still not entirely sure that I have everything I need to sit down and write it. Um, you know, I, I have friends who'll be like, yeah, I sat down this weekend and I locked myself in the house and like, I wrote a whole play this weekend. Um, and I, you know, I would love to be able to do that, but I always pick these projects that, you know, cause I'm sort of a research nerd. So I pick these projects that just require so much reading. And, and, and I think also, um, because I do often write outside of my own experience, I feel a, a need to, to do, I want to do my homework and I want to make sure that it feels authentic and honest. Um, so how do you find a way to, cause I think that's really important and has been, put in the center right now of how do we find authentic ways to tell the story that are not your experience and how do you go about doing that very carefully um you know i and i think i think the conversation that we're having now um that that has certainly been going on for a while but i think sort of um been amplified lately um has really made me rethink how I tell stories and which stories I tell. And I look back on some of my earlier work and I don't regret writing those plays, but I, I don't know that I would write those plays now, sort of knowing what I know and having listened to the conversations that I've listened to. And, um, you know, but when I wrote those plays, I was just sort of young and naive and didn't really know any better. And in some ways, I'm glad I didn't because I, you know, I think going through the process of writing those plays taught me a great deal. Um, but it is, you know, it is a, an interesting time and a, and a tricky time. Um, and I, I deal with this with my, my students too, who come in and, and, and I have to sort of say like, but why are you telling the story? Like wh what is drawing you to the story? Why do you feel like your voice, what can your voice contribute to the story? And I think I, you know, I think writers have to ask themselves that no matter where they are in their career. Um, and even, you know, even in terms of writing stories that might actually be your story like why do i need to tell the story now like what is it going to contribute what am i going to get out of this process yeah i think it's great actually because and not in a not in a way to stop you but to really get you connected to it why do i need to tell this mm -hmm. story and one of my one of the questions i it's very funny one of the questions i ask my students because it's an outcome that happens but i'll ask like what do you want to learn from writing mm -hmm. that play you know, because remain open. And I think that that's, you know, and, and, and that's a big part of why I, you know, I wrote a lot of the early work that I wrote was, and even, well, not even early work, even, you know, work up until the last year or two, is to make sense of the world around me. You know, um, this isn't my experience. So how can I go um, see what it's like to live in that experience outside of my own experience? Um, and for me, it's been really, uh, it's been useful in terms of just sort of my own personal self-discovery. And um, so, but I also acknowledge that that there are stories that, 
that I shouldn't tell and wouldn't want to tell. Um, and um, but it doesn't mean I'm not attracted to those stories. Right. And I also think shouldn't is like shouldn't because you don't have an authentic reason, not because I think there's anything off limits to people, but it's like, right. why me? Right. Exactly. Right. You know. Exactly. So, you know, I've had a couple of projects that I've actually kind of put on pause because I haven't been able to answer that question. Like it's a story that I still find really interesting and compelling, but but I haven't been able to figure out like, well, but why why do I need to be the person writing this? I think that's great. I'm gonna back up on a question. How did you end up at Sawani? Um, so Sawani came into my life uh at a time when I I really um my mother would call it a God moment. Um, but I had, I had attended the Swanee Writers Conference um, in my early 20s, uh, twice. And so I was familiar with the school. And um, I have to give all credit to, to Dan O'Brien because I, I interviewed him for an article for American Theater Magazine. And um, he knew that I had this connection with Swanee and he had been here as the playwright in residence. And he emailed me and he was like, you know, I, I know you have a, I know you have a kid. I don't know if you want to relocate, but there's this opportunity. And at the time, um, my marriage was kind of a disaster and I was kind of trying to figure out like, what am I going to do about that? And um, so honestly, I, I came here for a year thinking this will give me a chance to kind of regroup. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have, I'll have a place to live and health insurance and a meal plan in the cafeteria. Like, like what more could you ask for? Um, and, and I'll kind of figure out what, what my next step is. And that was eight years ago. So, um, it's been a really wonderful place for me. Um, I've, I've been the, play, I started out as the playwright in residence and I did that for three years. And then for three years, I was just working, um, as a visiting assistant professor teaching other classes. And then I've been back as the playwright in residence um, for the last couple of years. So um, it's just been a, it's been a really wonderful place for me as, as a writer. It's been a wonderful place for me as a parent. Um, it's given me a really safe, supportive environment to become a better teacher. Um, Cause I certainly think I've grown as a teacher in the time that I've been here. And I think, um, and you might, you might see this too. Um, as you grow as a teacher, I think sometimes you grow as a writer because it makes you look at things in a completely different way. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, you articulate, you also start to articulate things that you never thought, like when you talked about your process, it's funny. It's like, you don't think about it as a, as a process. It's just what you do. And then when you have to teach other people how to do it, you're like, Oh, actually, here's what I do. Right, right. I do exactly what I do, but it might be useful. Right, exactly. You know, and and you know, I teach I, I teach intro to playwriting and I teach advanced playwriting. I've had a chance to teach. Um, I created a course in solo performance, which was a really cool experience um, for me and I think for the students. Um, I've done a, a course in political theater in contemporary America, um, which I would love to teach again. Um, so, you know, it's given me a chance to sort of expand um, the types of stories that I tell and, and how I tell them. Um, and then figuring out, yeah, like how, if you're going to give someone all the tools that they need to go and write a play, what are those tools going to be? And, you know, I, my, I also teach Theater 101, which is a, you know, an introductory class. Most of the students have no theater experience. Most of them are just there to get their, you know, their gen ed credit. Um, but I try to make it the most engaging experience I can. And, and it's been really interesting to see students who came in who were like econ majors or bio majors who were like, I'm just checking, this is, I'm just checking a box here and who end the semester going, oh, wow. Like I had no idea this is what theater could be. And that is like the biggest compliment I can get to sort of watch students like discover all the possibilities. Um, we just finished our playwriting unit for that class and, you know, and all they had to do was write these small little scenes. But again, it goes back to like, okay, um, these really basic things like, you know, you've got to have a protagonist and antagonist and an objective and a conflict and, 
you know, he, here are these really basic building blocks um, and to watch them figure out how to put those pieces together and tell a story. And it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, to and me. it's great because going back to funny, I'm about to, the farm actually is about to launch a program with fifth through 10th graders. And it's going to give farm theater a couple of playwrights a chance to teach, but just hearing you say the basic reminds me of like, right. Cause when I teach that, then I go back to, right. That's what you need in your play too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and I've done a ton of workshops with, with kids as young as like third grade. And what I teach my third graders is really the same thing I just taught my college students, because it's like the, it's the least common denominator, you know, it's like, if you don't have these things, you don't have a play. And you can, you can start to play with those structures and stuff, but let's figure out how to like, here are the blocks. Let's, you know, let's build our tower here. And, um, and I kind of love that, you know, I, I love that a third grader is basically going through the exact same process as, you know, <laughs> me. yes. Um, and sometimes I have to go back and go, oh, wait, that's missing. You know, um, this scene is meandering because it has no objective. Yeah, like there's nothing driving the story. Um, you know, I keep, t I also keep telling my students that I'm going to have have t-shirts made up for everybody when they finish the class that just says logic is a bitch you know because um you know and i find that more like when we get into like my advanced class it's like okay you've you you've created this world you've um you've established these conventions um within that world and within those rules there still has to be a logic to it um, otherwise, you know, your audience is going to be really angry at you and they're not going to be able to follow along and they're not going to find it satisfying. Um, so, um, so that, you know, that, and, and also like, what does your character want and what's at stake? Like, those are the three things that I just say over and over and over again, like, how can we raise the stakes here? So, um, so it's exciting to watch them start to ask themselves those yeah, questions. That is funny. That is the fundamental. That is basically what I say every day. So I'm so affirmed and happy to hear it. And um, I wanted to, where, when you relocated, where were you? So, um, so the past, you know, since I graduated from NYU, I started out in New York. Um, I moved to New York uh, a month before my 17th birthday. Um, and uh, which is sort of a whole story all on its own. Um, but you know, I moved to New York and I, I lived at the Markle Evangeline Residence for Women down on 13th Street. And I got a job as a Broadway usherette, um, which looking back was like the best job I could have had because you know, I'd get stuck at you know, Cats for two weeks. And, but, but then I'd get, to, I'd get moved to another theater and I'd get to see these plays. And I always loved being there during previews when shows were still trying to like fine tune because you could go from night to night to night and you could you could watch the show change up until opening and that was really exciting to me um and it was really my master class my master class in theater so i was in new york for um about 11 years and um and i graduated from nyu and i went to la to work in television and so um i was in la for about three years uh so and and i got staffed on a show although oddly i had to go to los angeles to get staffed on a show that was shooting in new york um so i called my subletter and was like get out i'm coming back um so uh so i did that and then i went back i went back to, to la and um my mom was really sick. I got staffed on the show in New York and my mom got really sick and um, uh, she ended up passing away and I was back in, in Los Angeles and there was the writer's strike. And I just remember there was this moment when I was you know, walking the picket line and Jay Leno was bringing Krispy Kreme donuts out to everyone and hearing all these writers around me talking about sort of like what life's gonna be like when, when we go back. And I sort of looked around and I realized that there probably weren't going to be a lot of jobs for, for baby writers. And um, at the time I had a show that was kind of a hit and, and I, I had like six regional productions lined up and I knew 
that at least for a year I could afford to just be a playwright. So um, I, I moved back home to Alabama. Um, I, had, I had bought a house there after my mom died because I think I had this real need to still sort of have a home to go home to. And um, so I moved, I moved back to Alabama and um, just started writing. And in that time, you know, I, I, I fell in love with a production manager as theater folk tend to do and um, got married and, and had a kid. And then sort of that all fell apart because, you know, maintaining relationships in the theater when everybody's in different cities is really hard. Um, and then, you know, Swanee called and said, come hang out on the mountain. And uh, so I, I'm certainly not where I thought I would be, you know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, but at the same time, I feel like I'm probably right where I need to be um, for right yeah, now. Yeah, it was interesting when I think about relocating, because you relocated, is that right, from Alabama to Sewanee when it was offered? Because you had already relocated from LA. Back. Yes, yes. So I'd gone from growing up in Alabama to New York to Los Angeles to Alabama to Tennessee. So. And, it, and I think it, it's good because that, that, I mean, Sorry about the, you know, the reasons it brought you home to Alabama, but hearing the switch is like, yeah, an opportunity is presented of like, let's a clear and start. I also think the thing you said about the writer strike in LA resonates about today. Like we're all thinking about, well, what's it going to look like when this is over? And um, one of the things that you said early on that I thought was really useful is these little projects to keep us feeling like we have purpose. And we're still probably all doing projects to feel like, okay, how are we going to have purpose? Because we don't know what it'll look like when it's over, you know. And I also think that sometimes, you know, we start messing around with these little things and, and, and it's easy to be dismissive of them because, oh, they're these little projects. But oftentimes you look back and those little projects have become something much bigger. You know, I look at the so I have two projects that started off as 10 minute plays and man, I hated writing 10 minute plays for the longest time. Like they just felt, they felt like a lot of foreplay and like no payoff. Right. Um, and so, um, but I look back and I have two plays that started off as 10 minute plays. Um, I, I wrote a 10 minute play in a workshop with Jose Rivera and, um, and I sent it, I got an invitation to submit to the Royal Court. And so I sent them this little 10 minute play and they said, we feel like this is the beginning of something much bigger. If you ever write it as a full length, send it back to us. And so I went to NYU and um, for my, my, my big play, I wrote this like dark and dirty little play um, with Gary Garrison, who really like championed the play all along. And, um, and I sent it back to them right before I graduated. And, um, and it happened very quickly. And so like I graduated in, in May and in October, I was opening a play at the Royal Court. Um, so, you know, when my students, so how did you, how did you send the 10 minute? Was that just on your own? Was that just, oh, they're looking for 10 minute plays. I wrote this. So Youngblood. Um, so, um, the Royal Court had reached out to Youngblood for submissions, um, for their Young Writers series. And so we were all invited to submit a play. And so that's what I had that I felt like. Um, was the closest thing to the sort of the aesthetic of what the royal court was looking for. And um, so it was a pretty, rem it was a remarkable experience. Um, so, you know, and I, I, I tell this story often to students, like the cyclical nature of this business, because, you know, I graduated from NYU, I moved to LA, I got staffed on a, sh well, I got hired as a writer's assistant um, on a TV show. I signed with a huge agency um, that was way cooler than I am. And then the Royal Court called and said they wanted to produce my play. Um, and that all happened in like a four week period of time. Like life doesn't happen like that in general. So, um, then I, you know, I, I was working on the show and I, I went to London and, and I opened the show and I got an email from my agent that said, um, congratulations on the opening of your show. Uh, sorry to let you know, but the, the TV show has been canceled. 
So, you know, it was like this, then it was sort of like, well, what do I do now? Um, and so that was all and all of that happened in like a six month period of time. Um, and then I've had that happen again, you know, when I, um, when I was, when I did get staffed as a writer on a TV show, you know, I, I got staffed on the show and then I'd been commissioned to write a play for the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. And I was flying back from Alabama after workshopping that play. And the artistic director called and said, we want to produce your play next season. And as I was hanging up, another call came in saying, sorry to tell you, but the show's been canceled. So the, sort of the same sort of thing happened. Like there was this huge excitement and then this huge letdown all in a very short period of time. And I think, I think, you know, as artists, we don't get to decide necessarily when we work. We don't get to decide when we retire. Um, uh, and and that's uh, for someone who likes control, I find really challenging. Um, also because I'm a planner. Um, and I think it, you know, it always, for me, it always feels like the last job you have is going to be your last job and sort of getting to a place where I, I know that it's probably not going to be my last job and that something else is going to happen. And I'm sure a lot of us are feeling that way right now because it just, um, you know, the, the state of the, the industry is just so dismal right now but there will be more work and that's what i keep reminding myself yeah there will be and um how did things like the commission at alabama shakes come about well the the commission from the alabama shakespeare festival was a result of the production at the royal court um the alabama shakespeare festival had always sort of been my creative home um i i grew up seeing shows there and when i was 15 i was the chestiest lost boy in neverland and their production of peter pan um and then um they they started a young Southern writers project uh, to go along with their Southern writers project. And I totally lied about my age because I was technically like a, a year or two too old. Um, and I think they knew that, but they let me go anyway. And so I went and, and did their young Southern writers project. And, um, and then they invited me back for the Southern writers project. And then they kept inviting me back and then they gave me a commission. And so, um, so much of I think my career is owed to um, to that theater and 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 I've always said that you know we all love to have places where we can succeed but I think as artists we also have to have safe places where we can fail and and ASF has definitely been that um, you know I've I've participated in the Southern Writers Project I don't know like eight or ten times and um some of those plays have gone on to be really good plays and some of those plays have been really terrible um but knowing that i can put a really terrible play up and 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 still and still be um encouraged because i took a i took a chance i took a risk um, and knowing that that that's the best thing I can do and sometimes those risks are going to work and sometimes they're not and so um, so I, I really feel like that relationship has been uh, an integral part of my career. Um, they have a new artistic director there, uh, Rick Dildine, who is just really wonderful and is doing a lot of really uh, exciting things to um, to bring people in and to diversify their audiences and the stories that they're telling. Um, and, and I've, I've enjoyed working with him as well. So, um, yeah, I mean that partnership to think that, you know, it's been almost 30 years since I first walked into those rehearsal rooms is sort of amazing. And to see that, that role change over the, over time. Yeah, that too. is amazing. And that kind of home is just, it's vital. And I'm thinking, thinking about home and going like when you said oh, I wouldn't have pictured it 12 years ago but it seems from the outside um, that you are in a place that feels like home it feels like you're you know you're part of the southern writers group you're from there you're teaching in that region and I don't know I don't have a my question is do you feel comfortable and is it and is it how challenged do you get to feel comfortable in writing what's authentic to you and also how comfortable or hard what's the challenge of staying connected to all the other places 
Do you, do you feel like you're connected because you have a center place to be, or is it a challenge? What's it like working from the mountaintop? Um, you know, I think the biggest chance, uh, sorry, I think the biggest challenge is uh, staying connected to the community and trying to build community. Um, there's a, there's a lovely little theater community that's, um, I think, thriving in, in Nashville. Um, it's just far enough away that it doesn't feel like I can necessarily um, be as active in it as possible, as well, as active as I would like to be. Um, so I've, I've really had to make a very conscious effort to, to go out into the community, um, to go out uh, and participate in um, like the new play festivals and things like that. So usually I try to do at least one of those a year, whether it's the Denver New Play Festival or Humana, um, just uh, places where I know I can gather with other people who sort of share the same vocabulary, um, that I can have those conversations um, that I think are really important to have, um, not just creatively, but you know, it is a business. So um, those, building those relationships and cultivating those relationships are really important as well. Um, so I don't, you know, I feel really fortunate that I had the time I had in New York and I've had the experiences that I've had so that when I did move to the mountaintop, um, I already had sort of a, a foundation on which to build. Um, but I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I think more and more people are proving that you, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in New York or Chicago or LA to still have a career. Um, and I think a lot of that came also from realizing that we all have to have our own definition of success. And when, you know, would I love to have a hit show in New York? I would love to have a hit show in New York. Um, but I think when I stopped feeling like that was gonna define my career, um, it, it lifted a huge weight from me. And, and it allowed me to sort of look at other possibilities. Um, you know, I've, I've had a, I think I've had a really consistent career and I've, I've done that mostly in the regional theater world. And, um, and I love the community and I love, I love, I think one of the things I love most about being a playwright is I love all of the places I've gotten to go and all of the people I've gotten to meet as a result of my work. Um, and I think also the other great thing is now, now that I am a parent, oftentimes I've been able to take her along with me. Um, sometimes that's been out of necessity. Sometimes it's because I've, I've wanted to, I've wanted to make sure she's a part of that world and she gets to see me doing what I love. Um, and um, so I, I feel really grateful for that, for all of those experiences. I think it's great. I think one of the things I, I've, I'm a big proponent of, of you don't have to be in New York and you don't, you know, you can, I live in Brooklyn, but I've been here 30 years and the Yankees play in New York. So it makes life easier for me. But, um, but I think one of the things about the pandemic and the shutdown is also shown like it's going to decentralize where we're doing. And I think you, that's why I was, I was also really interested because it felt like, oh, you went home regionally, you know, uh, and you did stay connected. I think it's like, I'm glad you said it's not easy or whatever, because I think it's not easy. I find it not easy to stay connected in New York. You know, it's hard because there's so many relationships to maintain everywhere um, across the country and, and across the ocean um, that it becomes a challenge to keep going. But the, the thing when you said about defining success differently, I, I I love, you know, I heard your speech and at the Southeast Theater Conference and the idea of keeping your eyes on your own work, you know, and, and just what is that? I'd love you to talk about what that means to you. So, you know, I've really been challenged with this idea of keeping your eyes on your own work during the pandemic, because, you know, I, I remember when everything first shut down, there were all these memes that were floating around that talked about how, like, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet during the plague, right? Or was it Lear? Anyway, it Lear, but yeah, that Shakespeare wrote Lear during during the plague, and and I thought, you know, 
but Shakespeare wasn't trying to like migrate his classes online and homeschool his kids. Like it's just sort of this false equivalency. And, um, but then I, I have to admit, like it kind of got in my head because I, I kept seeing people, you know, on social media popping up about like, oh, I just finished writing this play because I didn't have anything else to do. And, and, um, and I, and I, it kind of freaked me out because I thought, oh, well, you know, is there going to be this huge rush of new work that's being created because people don't have anything else to do right now. Um, and I just had to, I had to step away from that because that's just not my reality right now. And, um, you know, and, and I had to really focus on like, this is my reality. How am I going to make the most of my reality? I can say yes to these small little projects here and there. Um, I may not have something new to submit this fall for, you know, for all the new development stuff. Um, and, and I just had to accept that, um, and keep my eyes on my own work, which, you know, for the last seven months has been trying to be a, a good teacher um, and stay connected to my students. It has been trying to, you know, stay connected to the theater community in whatever way that I can. It has been enjoying um, the time I've gotten to have with my daughter. Um, you know, it, there have been moments that have been really stressful in terms of trying to balance the work-life um, situation, but, you know, we've also had some really wonderful intimate moments together that I, I really value. Um, the fact that we haven't had places to be has actually been kind of a gift in some ways. You know, we're, we're not in a rush anymore. Um, you know, we're not trying to get out the door. Um, there's a lot less conflict because of that. It doesn't mean it hasn't been replaced with other kinds of conflicts, but, um, but that's not a, you know, that's not a fight we've had to have. And, and so, um, you know, I've really just had to figure out how to make the most of the moment that I have before me and know that, you know, like we talked about, like the work will come. Um, I, you know, I've written plays before. I will write plays again. I've had plays produced before. I have to believe that I'll have plays produced again. Um, and finding ways to, you know, continue to, to reach out to, to other artists who are sort of in the same situation and, um, and figure out, you know, how do we, how do we keep, how do we keep it alive? How do we keep moving forward? Yeah, I think that's the key is keeping, keeping it alive, but keeping it alive for yourself by not forcing something, you know, like you said, you have these two projects in your head and, you know, they're going to germinate, the research is going to help, things are going to come, or they'll take their time, but they're not, I trust that, uh, I'm glad to hear it. And also that just that, it was interesting to hear, keep your eyes on your own work, to think about defining success, defining what's, a, that freaking Lear thing drove me nuts. Because I thought like, yes, he, he wasn't trying to go online and, and you know, and he had the support of the queen, you know, and and maybe I'd be thrilled if somebody wrote the equivalent of King Lear today. But okay, but what if there were those thousand other plays that are gonna be in the literary manager's box because people wrote something out of desperation and they're gonna have to read them. Yes. <laughs> they may not yes. be here. Or yes. Yes. Well th and that is that's also that's also a really good point is like, just because you write it doesn't mean it's going to be any good, you know? And I think about that with this, this project that I'm working on right now. Like, I think right now the routine of sitting down at my desk and putting words on the page is in some ways more valuable to me um, than thinking about like, what, what is the end product going to be? And, um, you know, I want it to be good. Um, but right now, I think being part of the, having a, a ritual, the ritual of writing, the ritual of creation is, is my main objective at the moment. And um, because I think, I think also when we write, I mean, well, for me, and this goes back to keep your eyes on your own work, I start to think, oh, well, you know, is this relevant enough? Is this a producible play? Is this too much like a play someone else has written? Um, and it's easy to sort of get, get ahead of yourself in terms of thinking through all of those things. I mean, 
some of that's just practical, but but I think sometimes we, if we start to get too in too invested in like who's going to pr produce this play, um, and and am I giving them what they want? Uh, then we can easily uh, it easily diminishes the natural impulse for the storytelling. And, and you're not going to tell the same sort of honest story if you're figuring, if you're too, too caught up in the mechanics of creating the most producible play possible. You know, those plays are great. Those plays can make you money. But, um, you know, and I sometimes I feel like every writer needs to have that play in their back pocket. But, um, but it's easy to, it's easy to start thinking too much about the production before you've started writing the play. Yeah, I agree. Stay true, you know, stay true to the story you're writing. And I think if you're writing something authentic and important to you, it will find a home, you know, because there's a lot of them out there. Yes, yes. And, um, I'm going to be respectful of our time. So I'm going to ask one, uh, which may have been it, actually, what you were just saying, but I was curious, uh, what advice would you give to anybody who's pursuing this at this moment of insanity? Um, I would say don't be discouraged. You know, theater has been alive for thousands of years. It is, it has had, um, it has gone through trying times. Um, we, it will come back. It will continue to exist. Um, and, and so don't, don't let that be a discouragement, uh, at, at this point in time. Um, but also use this time to, to read plays. Uh, to write plays. Um, I think one of the things I find frustrating at times with my students is that they want to be playwrights, but they don't read plays, you know, and if you can go see plays, but right now we can't do that. Um, but, you know, study your craft. Um, keep writing, um, because like you said, you know, if you write it and it's honest and it's true to you, it will find a home. Um, so, you know, use this quiet time to sort of cultivate and, and, and nurture your own work um, and know that, you know, you'll have something to show for it when, when we all gather together again. Oh, that was great. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth, for talking it was just great to catch up with her and uh you know i love the fact i know i said it on the conversation but i just love that she's back in the region that she's from and that she has really found a home at solani uh that's where the university of south is and that she's you know connected to alabama shakespeare and she's connected nationally of course but just you know, feels like she is where she belongs, at least at this time in her life. And I think, you know, so all of us during the pandemic have, you know, questioned where do we want to live? What should, what do we need in our life? And I think it's, it's just great to know, you, you know, you can build your life wherever you need to build your life, especially this time. We've really decentralized uh, the institution of theater. And, you know, you can be Tennessee, where Elizabeth is, or New York, if that's where I am, or, you know, if you went and you wanted to go out to nature, you can do that. And you're still connected to what we're all doing. And I also love that she said we're, we're still going to continue to gather because, you know, we're doing it in on Zoom and we're doing it with each other. But eventually we're all going to be doing it back in person. Uh, and with that, I'm excited that uh, HCC is doing Amy's play. That's tonight. I think November 5th through the 7th. I think it's at 730 at night and November 8th. It's at 2 uh, in the afternoon and, you know, at the HCCFL uh, website, uh, you can check it out. And it, I, I hope you'll see it because I'm really excited that they're, that the play is great and that they've created, a, they're going to do it. You're going to see a full production, not in a Zoom room. It's going to be a, a, a live streaming of a live play happening with actors in the same room. With that, I am thrilled to be back. I look forward to hearing, you know, email me. Email me at patrick at thefarmtheater.org. I'd love to hear what you're doing that's happening in the pandemic that's giving you hope, that's moving you forward, or what you're doing to take care of yourselves and uh, 
while you're waiting for the inspiration to hit. But, um, you know, at this time, I really just feel like we're doing great because uh, we have all, after seven months, figured out a way to navigate this. You know, sometimes we have to take two steps back and rest, but when it's time to create, we can do it. We can figure out how to do it. One of the people I talked about last season was Elizabeth had written the porch plays to take place on porches and uh, was able to happen with a live performance, live audience. And, you know, she's figured it out. We've all figured out different things and uh, keep moving forward. So hopefully you'll check out Skin Hunger Touch Starved at HCC and really love that you're listening. And yeah, email me. Patrick at the farmtheater.org. Let me know what you're doing. And also, if you, you know, the bullpen's back for the season three, and I'm hoping that, uh, hoping to continue to grow our audience. So if you like it and you're finding it useful and you're back and you're like, oh my God, I want to hear about, I want to, you know, just listen and share what other people are doing in this time and how they're building a career, you know, recommend us review us on iTunes, give it the five-star review that helps people find it, but also share it with people, tell people uh, that you're enjoying it. That always helps, but mostly I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad we're back and uh, that we are all healthy and doing great. So with that, we're out. 